Welcome to episode 35 of the Do Care podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about queer intersectional ecofeminism and artistry. And I am one of your hosts, Georgie Corkery. My pronouns are she, they. And I'm your other co-host, Mary McGee, she, they. We're really excited to chat with our special guest today. Christy Bills is the Entomology and Malacology Collections Manager at the Natural History Museum of Utah, recommended by Patrick Kelly, who you might remember from episode 30 on Stokes Nature Center. We also did talk about Christy on that episode, and I was so excited, so I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome. Yeah, great. I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> and will you share your pronouns with us? She, her. Awesome. What are you most excited to talk about today? I really like talking to people about fireflies. I didn't even know that fireflies were in Utah. You're not alone. So about 99% of people that I talk to still don't know that we have fireflies in Utah. But we've been running the firefly project that we do for almost 10 years now. Whoa, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's been going for a while. So we have known, scientists have known about fireflies, bioluminescent fireflies. To be clear, there are diurnal fireflies in Utah that are not uncommon, but only the larva flash or okay. glow. And what did you say diurnal? Di day. Okay. I, thank you for stopping me. I appreciate that. <laughs> so adults that fly during the day that are just little black beetles oh, yeah, and they don't glow or anything, but they're doing their job out in the world. They're still important. But we've known about adult bioluminescent fireflies in Utah in the science world since the 50s, but not many. There was maybe one population and somebody published about them. His name was Green with an E at the end. And then there's an entomologist at BYU, Seth Bybee, B-Y-B-E-E, and he's a lovely guy. He and I collaborate on a few things. And he and I were talking in about 2013. And he said, I know about a few that are near Utah Lake. And I said, over my many years of working here at the museum, people have anecdotally reported to me and I've been keeping a list in a notebook. This is like before Google Docs and stuff. Okay. <laughs> so people had told me they'd seen them um, at like Soldier Summit and around Duchesne. I figured if people told me they had seen flashing fireflies, that it was credible. You know, yeah. and I had maybe six places. I said, people have been telling me, and he said, I know about a few. So we thought between the two of us, what we should do is start a citizen science project. And that's actually a really big thing in the biology world now, mm -hmm. actually in a lot of different sciences. So what citizen science is, is an attempt by researchers to gather data of all kinds, all kinds. So it could be that you're an astronomer and you have so many camera trap images or not camera trap, but uh, images from space that you can't possibly look at them all. Yes. I think I've heard of this. My mm -hmm. friend got a message about squirrels. Yeah. We also do a squirrel project yes, here at the museum. Squirrel, yes. And then yeah. he like kept out and he looked for squirrels in his neighborhood. Yeah. yeah it's so great. And Tracy Avery does a bunch with birds. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sageland Collaborative, another really cool organization who has also been on the podcast, they have at least three different community science projects. Right. So Right. But really it could cool. be things to do with your menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. It could be oh, to do I with... I didn't even think about that. Yeah. There are a lot of... Uh, it could be when sunflowers bloom across the country, wild ones. It could be your pet behavior. So it really spans the, the gamut. It's huge. I never thought about it in terms of 
big picture like that and what it can be used for. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. What I really, really love about it is science does not want to gatekeep. We want to bring people in. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes a lot of people had dreams of maybe being a marine biologist or maybe being an astronomer. Or I talk to people all the time who wish they'd been an entomologist. And I'm like, come on in. I want you to be an entomologist. Or any type of scientist. Many types of science. But there are barriers to being a professional scientist of all kinds. We know about that. So this allows people to participate in science. The language that describes what participating in this is complicated. For instance, the LA County Museum decided not to use the term citizen science because it sounds like you have to be Mm. a papered citizen. And that was the original term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I know a lot of people have changed that to community scientists because they want to uh, require people to be citizens. I also like the semantics of that. Like citizen almost feels like very individualistic. Right. Whereas community kind of feels like you're working as a community to help and shape the community. Right. But there's a whole other problem. Oh, tell me. That the term community science usually applies to a project that comes from a community need and they decide on a project together, Mm -hmm. like maybe groundwater testing. So it's a whole other thing. And then they've come up with other terms that are like way more syllables and complicated. And let me tell you, when you meet somebody who's just come to one of your talks, they're like, I don't know anything you're talking about. And I do not care. Mm-hmm. I just, just let me participate. You know? <laughs> so I think a lot of this is in speak where people who do these kinds of projects yeah. are just throwing terms back and forth. And other people are like, you're just all talking to each yeah. other. <laughs> so I wish we had a more inclusive term that made sense very clearly to people that we're trying to invite. But right now we don't seem to have that. Yeah. I've always thought that citizen scientists sounds better than yeah. community scientists. But I always go with community scientist. It's tough. Um, and when I say sounds better, I just mean phonetically. No, yeah, like mm. citizen scientist. Yeah, it has mm. the, that's, what do you call that? A sibilant. Sibilant? A sibilant, yeah. Good job. <laughs> well, before we jump any further into the topic of fireflies and mm-hmm. the firefly citizen community scientist project, <laughs> uh, we always talk about a few things at the top of the podcast, which is sure. first, the cats that we've interacted with recently. And the reason we do this is because <laughs> when you think about cute things, you're flooded with good hormones and it makes you a little happier. Mm-hmm. I'm just imagining cats. I, you know, I want everyone who's listening to this to be a little bit happier. So, Mary, what cats have you interacted with recently? Well, um, we recently interacted with my own two cats, uh, Crookshanks and May. They're very cute. They're very cute. Mm-hmm. They've been a little anxious. There's been some home changes in my life, but um, they're handling it really well. Yeah. The cat, I I saw multiple cats. I've interacted with multiple cats, but I only pet one at Iconoclad. Oh. I don't know if you've ever been there. Yeah. It's great. Uh-huh. And uh, I pet one cat and I saw the rest. How about you? I don't hang out with cats. I'm allergic to them. That's so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I have other animals that I love a lot, though. They're super cute. Yeah. I have a baby praying mantis that's <gasps> maybe a half inch long that hatched out of an egg case from my yard that I collected. And they hatched way, way, way too soon. And now I have a half inch praying mantis oh that I'm gosh. trying to feed. And I check it a couple times a day and say, are you eating the flies I gave you? And it's very little. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cute. Super adorable. Oh, that's super cute. <laughs> 
Well, the next thing I was going to ask about is wildlife. What wildlife we've seen recently? Mm-hmm. I was at Antelope Island yesterday, and I saw the bison cavorting, and they were being very frolicky, running, shaking their heads, like butting each other. Each yeah, they were really active. So. To mischief and cavorting. Mm-hmm. Wow. They were not mellow. They were standing in the road blocking traffic, and they were button heads, and they were running Ooh. around. They were that's exciting. Yeah. You don't know see them that active. active. Yeah. Active. Yeah, frisky bison. Yeah. <laughs> I did go to the, they call it the Buffalo Roundup. Mm. They like round them all up once a year. My mom and my sister and I, we went there on accident and it's just a bunch of cowboys and cowgirls and cow people. I don't know. Range riders. That's oh. the term. <laughs> and they're just whipping the air to yeah, like, make to the sounds it. and then they corral them and then they make sure they have vaccinations and they do a little oh. health check. And then they let them all go. It was just, it was so cool. Powerful. I love them. And that's the most active I've seen them. Wow. Mm. But they wow. were, you know. Did they get, to, they get to touch them? Because so much I want to touch them. I, no, no. But they were like in a fenced area where they couldn't really move. So mm. probably could have if we went up, talked with people and were interacting. But we didn't. We just yeah. ate cheese and drank wine because that was our plan originally <laughs> on a hike. And then we didn't do the hike and we just watched that. So. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds good. <laughs> what wildlife have you seen? I have seen some Canadian geese flying mm-hmm. outside my window. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I'm actually participating in a different community scientist project, the Rosie Finch Project with Sageland Collaborative. And while doing that, I saw a bunch of elk. Ooh. It, it's just up Logan Canyon, pretty far down from where you usually see them, which, you know, isn't great for them to be yeah. so far down. But it was really cool to see them. And then I also was just outside of Park City recently. And then I saw another herd. So two herds of elk. And I also saw this downy woodpecker that had really red feathers underneath. Mm. My friend was right. Aberrant downy, huh? Yeah. Mm. It was cool. Interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but the elk have been down in the neighborhood this winter. Oh, my goodness. Like down, in Salt Lake City. Yeah, they've been down here by East High School. Like, they've come really far low. Huh. Like, alarmingly low. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of scary. Hopefully, yeah. none of them get hit. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anybody's... They've had any problems. It's just been kind of exciting. I know that mm-hmm. there's been a pause on shed collecting because, I don't know, people normally do that and then... When they go out, they're disturbing their habitat and they're stressing them oh. out. And there's not a lot of resources for them right now for whatever reason. And they're just like, the population isn't very healthy. So they put a pause on collecting because mm. that just stresses the animals out. And people will like follow the animal if one has fallen off. And so they'll just follow it until the other one falls off. But it really stresses it out. Yeah. So... Maybe the elk were wondering, why aren't you collecting our sheds? And they came down to check on us. <laughs> like, we can give them to you. Here we go. <laughs> I'm trying to shake them off. <laughs> Do you want these or not? <laughs> yeah. Except for legally, you couldn't pick them up. You know, mm. They dropped it in your yard. You're supposed to leave it. Wow. That would be weird. That would be weird. I wonder if that situation has happened. Probably not. But... <laughs> Damn it. There's a thing on my sidewalk. What am I going to do? Just walk around it. <laughs> Well, next and last, before we jump into the topic Mm -hmm. for today, conscious content consumption. And I'll go first. Um, This is someone who I recommend folks follow on Instagram. She, her pronouns. She is super awesome. Her name is Karina Newsome. 
She is going to grad school, but I don't know if she already has her master's or not. So I don't know what her title is there. But she's an environmental justice warrior, wildlife conservationist, and conservation scientist. She defines herself as an American ornithologist, birder, science communicator, and graduate student at Georgia Southern University. She is one of the folks who co-organized Black Birders Week Mm. in response to racism in 2020 and the incident with Christian Cooper at Central Park. Do you know about this? Christian Cooper, he's a black birder. He was out, and I forget her name. It was also something Cooper, a white woman. No relation. They just have the same last name. Uh, she was walking... Oh, this story, yes. Yeah, yeah. She had her dog off-leash, and okay. she was like, could you put your dog on-leash? Oh, yeah. And she was like, I'm um, calling the cops. Yeah, yeah. This person's attacking my dog <laughs> and me. So that sparked Black Birders Week, which happens in June annually. So that's a cool one. And Karina, she co-organized this. Uh, she runs a blog account using the name Hood Naturalist to reflect her upbringing in an urban environment and as an attempt to counter the assumptions that all naturalists grow up in rural or wilderness areas. She's super cool. That she sounds out, so cool. Two things that she has done that she did in 2019 that I thought were just awesome and I had to bring up. Um, she joined a team of women to respond to Discovery, like the Discovery Channel. They had this ad that was all about, you know, we can do it, we're in the wilderness, and it's that song. I'm going to sing it, and I'm going to be a little embarrassed about it. It starts with Ooga Chaka. So it's that, but it, it kind of looks like an axe commercial because it's all men. They're banging hammers and they're exploding things and they're jumping through the wilderness. And there's one femme presenting person in the whole thing, and she's coupled with a man. And she kind of looks naked. And she's, like, there for a, a nanosecond. Oh, my God. So this group of women criticized it. And as their response, they made this music video to the song, Let Me Blow Your Mind. And I cannot, for the life of me right now, think about how the lyrics go, like, how the music, how the song goes. But it's really good. And I'll link it in the show notes because it was just... It, It was excellent. So she was part of that. The other thing she did was she made a rap video. She remixed a song, Anything for the Count, by a rapper, Offset. I don't actually know the rapper, but I knew the song when I listened to it. And in this video, she's just rapping about birding. And it's so funny. And if you're a birder and you like bird nerdy stuff, (laughs) you have to watch the video. It will also be linked in the show notes. But she is hood underscore naturalist on Insta, and that's... That's my share. I shared a lot there, but she's just so cool. I really like her. So, Mary, what do you have to share? Yeah, I've started reading Their Eyes Were Watching God by Mm. Zarina Hurston. It is really beautiful. Very lyric and sexually empowering. That one's about. I am very, I'm like five chapters in, so. Okay, okay. To be seen. I assume it's about a femme person? Yeah, yeah. So, like African, or yeah, yeah, African black. And feminist Your literature. God. I feel like I read it's that like in middle school. It's like a classic. Or... It's a classic. It's something they teach a lot in high schools. Okay. I've never read it. But, okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, I look forward to the update from you. Yes. Mm-hmm. How about you? I think people should follow the River Writing Collective. That's what it is on Instagram. It's run by Nan Seymour, who's a very prominent poet in Utah. 
Cool. She sometimes speaks to the legislature. She had her second year of Great Salt Lake Vigil this year. She runs She's a vigil. She did the vigil. Yeah, for the Great Salt Lake. And she is doing everything a human being could do to try to save the Great Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. But more than that, she is a very welcoming person to encourage people to write their own truth that everyone should be a writer. So everyone is welcome to participate in river writing. And it's a really good exercise for people to write into truth. And so not only is she really doing everything a human being could do to save the lake (laughs) and inviting as many people from all walks of life to participate with her to save the lake, she's an amazing mentor to draw people in to become writers. How so, cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew about the vigil, but I didn't really know anything about her and river writer. When you first yep. said that, I was thinking like riding the river, but no, nope. you mean writing with a pen of the river, maybe. Yep. You need to show up with a pencil and a paper and that is all, <laughs> and you cannot do it wrong. You yeah. can't do it wrong. So everybody's welcome. And it's a really amazing practice. That's incredible. So That's you can incredible. do it remotely. We yeah. do it with people from different parts of the country. It's a really lovely, welcoming, accepting practice. Highly, highly recommend. Awesome. And say her name one more time. Nan Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. But uh, so she's out on Instagram, but also river writing. River writing. Yeah. Highly recommend. Awesome. Well, let's dive into fireflies. I want to shoot off 10 questions at once, but I won't. Okay. First, where are the fireflies? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You already talked about the difference between the two kinds mm-hmm. that are in Utah. I assume there's more. We have more questions than answers. Yeah. I will just say <laughs> that right off the bat. So uh, the project started, we started asking people to tell us where they saw them because they only fly from late May to early July. And I describe each population as being not any larger than maybe a baseball diamond or a baseball oh. field. Mm-hmm. So oh. you, you can miss it looking in the wrong direction. So the first year I was like, okay, I'm armed with these sightings that people have reported. So people would say, oh, I know where some are. Here's a piece of data. And about 80, 85% of them are credible. Some of them are like, I saw some a dead horse point, which if you've been there, it's exceedingly dry. (laughs) They were not there. I saw them at three o'clock in the morning. They were multicolored. That is not a thing. And I was like, no, you didn't. Yeah, no, or you were maybe tripping. So no, you didn't. Or I saw them at nine o'clock in the morning in traffic. No, you didn't. (laughs) But the ones that are credible, I had that data and I was like, I'm going to go out and look at these places that are dark and marshy. That makes sense. So I would go to those places and I would stare in the dark. And I spent an entire summer looking from Moab to Bear Lake, staring, staring, staring. My children were much beleaguered. I was going to ask if you did it alone, but... I I would take people with me and I'd say, we're going to see fireflies. They're like, yeah! Any. (laughs) None, none, none. And I was like, next year, new new plan. (laughs) I will meet with what I called the data reporter. And I would say, would you be willing to meet with me at 10 o'clock at night in a dark field and show me what you saw? Mm. That worked. And so they would say, here we go. The first one was at a golf course in Park City, which was weird. And we went through this (laughs) golf course to the place where there was a low spot and cattails and we found them. So it's like, okay, this is going to work. So then more people, dark field, 10 o'clock at night, show me where you saw them. Here they are. Here they are. Here they are. So then we started to spot them. 
now I can see what the habitat looks like. Rushes. I know where they ought to be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're going to be there. And it doesn't mean I'm going to be looking in the right direction. So there was one <laughs> spot that I knew exactly that they'd been seen. And my friend and I went up. She's also a biologist. And we were looking, talking, talking for like 20 minutes. And we're looking, looking. And then we turned around and they'd been behind us the whole time. <laughs> it's They're quiet. <laughs> they're quiet little suckers. You need to sit back to back. I, right? <laughs> or be turning the whole time. Where, if the moon is yeah. too bright, if the wind is blowing, if it's next to a uh, road and the cars drive mm. by, the lights from the cars will it's stop them. If it's a little too cold, you won't have them. But now we have about 800 reports. Um, Some of them are from duplicate locations or some places where people go all the time and know they see them, which is good because we want repeat data, of course. But we have definitely credible reports from 27 of the 29 counties. So there are, they're they're everywhere. Yeah, definitely. It's only Juab and Iron County, but there's not as many people there. Yeah. Also, Carbon County is a weird one. I know they're there, but I'm not getting enough data from them. <laughs> Tooele is also just a weird county. It's big. And every time somebody reports them, I can't get a follow-up. So that's, I really want more data from Tooele and Carbon County. Also, Moab is super tricky because it's a different species in Moab. Oh. Think about how many people are in Moab. They are very known in Moab. We have two specimens. There's so many people recreating there. And they're near the urban area of Moab. Hmm. They're like hanging out by people. So what are the two species? Good question. (laughs) The first one is genus Pyractomina, and we call it now near dispersa. So it's close to a species called dispersa, but we think that it might not be quite the same as the species back east. But it's looking for some genetic work to actually suss out exactly what it is, and it might be something new. Okay. The reason we partnered with BYU or I partnered with BYU is that this museum has a better marketing reach and BYU has a better genetic lab. I don't have as much staff. There's just me and one other part-time person. But BYU has a bigger staff of people that are doing deeper genetic type research. So I'm like, you do the harder science. I'll do the outreach part. But science moves slow. (laughs) So I have some questions about your career and I guess what you do here and mm-hmm. in collaboration with BYU, mm-hmm. you said genetics. Is that one of the main things or? That's not my, that's not what okay. I do. Yeah. I do collection management. So to work in entomology, there's a countless amount of things you can specialize in. So the big, big entomology conference that one can go to, the Entomology Society of America, which is actually kind of an international conference, draws by a thousand people every year. It's really huge. Wow. And there are people who work in taxonomy or forensics or ecology. There's just, there's so many different kinds of things you could do. Agriculture, medicine, so many things. When you said taxonomy, I just imagined someone, you know, people taxidermy. Yeah, Yeah, a little bit different. (laughs) Just like imagining a guy, you know, like smoking, getting a tiny little ant prepped for... There is a lot of that too, though. That's a whole thing too. Yeah, there must be. That's a whole thing too. But collection management is a whole field as well. And I go to the subconference that works on entomology collections. So knowing how to balance the needs of wanting to keep a collection preserved for perpetuity. So how do we keep these specimens preserved at the right temperature, the right humidity, in the right containers forever, but also 
we don't want to keep it hidden. We want to make the information as transparent as possible for everybody from the first grader who's homeschooled and loves, loves, loves insects to researchers in Zurich. You know what I mean? How to keep this information transparent and available and imaged online. And how do we onboard volunteers and interns and train them so that they can work with these specimens without breaking them? And also, I want them to be available in the most pristine condition a hundred years from now. So when I'm dead, this information (laughs) is in completely perfect order and a second grader can look it up online. You know what I mean? And so the information is stored on the Natural History Museum's website? No, it's stored in a NSF-funded database that is shared with other insect collections. So it'd be not a good use of resources for you looking for information about tiger beetles to query different insect collections. You want to go to one database that most insect collections are using and say, give me information about these tiger beetles. Let me ask all of you and generate a map for me. Boom. How cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. (laughs) I never thought I'd be so excited. But learning to to manage your digital data as well as your specimens is doubling your work and learning new skill sets all the time. Like making a digital encyclopedia. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a whole different skill set and asset that's two different. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Because how do you, they'll say like, how many gigabytes of data are you going to need in the next 10 years? And like, I don't don't know. We're imaging stuff all the time and they're huge files. Yeah, I guess you're taking pictures and they're probably high quality. Yeah. So all the data. Yes. (laughs) Unlimited space, please. Yes. And somebody contacted me Friday and said, I would like to donate 200 drawers of butterflies to you. And I was like, yes. And I now need need three new cabinets. (laughs) And where will I put them? And I now have a new problem and I need maybe $10,000. And (laughs) yes. And this was just someone from the community. Yes. On Friday. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. That's really, yeah, really yeah, cool. Yeah. I didn't realize people, well, I, I knew that if people had things at home that they could be donated to museums, depending on what they are, but I never thought about bug collection. So this is an interesting issue that's part of collection management. So it seems like we just database dead bugs or we just uh, babysit dead bugs, right? But it's not, it's very complex. <laughs> it's not a static thing. One thing that I really, really love about entomology is that it's a people's science. There are a lot of people that are hobbyist entomologists that are actually moving the science forward. That's cool. You can like birding. Yes, but even more so because there are people who can discover new species all the time. You can become a postal worker or a plumber or a machinist. You can teach yourself entomology and discover new species and correspond with I have boxes of letters from people who were working in the 1960s and 70s before the internet, and they were mailing letters to each other back and forth. Oh, that's so and cool. And they amassed insect collections that were of incredible value. So you don't have to have a helicopter and a jackhammer and be a paleontologist. Yeah. Just go outside. You don't have to illegally you rob people's yeah, Native American <laughs> graves like yeah. an archaeologist. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can go to your local park. You can. Yes, you can absolutely. That pond. Yeah. You don't even have to you shoot. Them and then you can go out of their well, withers. Yeah, <laughs> but you do have to kill some bugs. Yeah. But most people are like, that's okay if you're just dealing with 
beetles and cockroaches and bugs and they're gonna, their lifespan is two weeks. And actually the most of their life cycle is at a larval level. So when they're an adult, they're kind of at the end of their life cycle anyway. And so when you've killed it, but you've put a label on it and you've respected its life and you've put the date and the place and everything. I have bugs that a guy collected from 1930 to 1970 with full notebooks and data. His family's been visiting the collection since 1999 and he did kill those bugs, but they've been a value to science. And we've been working with that data ever since we continue to transcribe the data. Wild that that bug's life, which would maybe would have lived two weeks. Now (laughs) that specific bug's life is hundreds of years old because we're interacting with it and learning from it hundreds of years from now. That's exactly what I say. say. If it had died and been left alone, it would be bird food, which is a value, but (laughs) thanks to the bird would like that. But there are other bugs for it to eat because like a bear is five or 10 miles of Mm -hmm. range or something. I'm not a bear ologist. <laughs> not a mammalogist. But the bug, there's hundreds of more. There's thousands of more. There's hundreds of thousands more likely. So I'm not saying people should go out and kill all the bugs or kill many, many, many. But when you take the amount of work that we put into each specimen is yeah. a lot. And so um, I do have bugs from the 1890s. We treat them very reverentially. We take really good care of them. And this is the interesting thing about museum specimens is that they increase in value over time. We learn new things that we can do with them. A lot of the specimens that we have here at the museum were collected before we knew what DNA was. So imagine what we can do with them in 50 more years or a hundred. I also assume that maybe some of the species have gone extinct or they've evolved. Some, some or extirpated. What does that mean? That means that they don't exist where they were before. Mm. Oh, so there are things that I have drawers and drawers of a particular moth that you don't ever see here in Utah anymore. They're just really, really rare now. Hmm. And not necessarily extinct. They've just, they've just immigrated. I don't know. I mean, they're this really big, gorgeous moth, Mm -hmm. the silk moth, and I've not ever encountered one. Hmm. I mean, somebody might, but because I have drawers and drawers and drawers, apparently they used to be common. Yeah. I've never seen one anymore. So we don't know if they just died out or, or if they... I would assume they're just less, less common because there's no... Not, I mean, the valley does not look the way it did a hundred years ago. There's yeah. not as many trees and habitat and there's just, you know, we just continue to build and build and build. So as we continue to do that, we decrease the habitat and we're changing the bug life. Plus new bugs move in. In 2008, we found a new fire bug that had never been here before. It was known in Europe, Pyrochorus apteris. And like suddenly, how did that get here? And now we're doing a a community science project again to like watch it spread. And it's been really interesting. When I was looking you up before this, that was the bug that I, oh, I was yeah. like, Oh mm-hmm. cool. You like found something that was not found in the United States yeah. beforehand. Yeah. That was weird. So, yeah. Huh. I mean, it was just sort of a, that's strange. And then we watched it grow. <laughs> yeah. One time I was looking for fireflies in Northern West Haven or something, Davis County. And I was asking like, I'm looking for this address. And I converted two numbers and the guy was like, oh, you need to go over there. And I was meeting somebody to collect fireflies. And I was like, oh, hey, you have a firebug here. He's like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, no, no, this is the furthest north we've seen this. And <laughs> yeah, there's a big moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I went and go collected fireflies. But uh, it was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So I wonder what your normal day-to-day looks like working here. 
Gosh, it varies a lot. Every day seems different. So sometimes I'm having a job shadow from an eight-year-old. Sometimes oh, I'm doing tours for. No, me too. I love it. <laughs> sometimes uh, I'm doing a tour for a group of college students who have not seen the collection before. Sometimes I'm answering emails from people <laughs> who have questions about the collection, or I'm doing a lot of training so that I am mm. up to date on different kinds of things. Sometimes I'm going back through the malacology data, trying to get it all databased. We spend a lot of time databasing, though. The stuff that we have that's new to the collection takes a long time to database. So we have to yeah. look at the tiny labels. And most of the stuff that we get in is from collectors who have passed on. Mm -hmm. So we have to, if the labels aren't perfect, we have to try and figure out what they meant. So yeah. the guy who was collecting from the 30s to the 70s, his data was really, really good. But sometimes it's a little colloquial. So it might mm -hmm. be, I collected this at Williams Pond. So it's some um, geography, it's some taxonomy, it's some biography. So I use mm. the genealogy record. I use gazetteers. There's some towns that don't exist anymore. It really helps to be really regionally based. Yeah. So sometimes people think, you know, like the big blue shiny butterflies are cool and interesting, but I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in things that are local. I yeah. want to represent where we are and the way it's changing. We have a really good leech collection and people Ooh. think that that's like silly and funny and weird, but there's not very many places that have leeches, really? leech collections. Oh. Yeah, it's a big deal. And so the leech collection represents the way water has moved and changed oh. and connected and disconnected in the Intermountain West. Mm. So I think that's a really important thing. The leeches do all look very much the same. <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like a very charismatic leech, yeah, but to say, me. I don't know of any colorful leeches. There's not, but you know what? Like, I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're... But their uh, worth isn't in their shiny. Yeah. Right, right. It's, what's inside the couch? <laughs> they're, um, they represent a really a important part, of, part yeah. Yeah, of the ecology of the space, of the Intermountain West as it changes, you know? That's, Can I also jump in and have you yeah. help me out with some words here. Sure. Talk taxonomy. Yeah. What, what is that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Taxonomy is the way things are related to each oh, other. Okay. Yeah. So like uh, the, like leeches and like the way they relate to water and like we're related to water. No, 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 no not no. that. That's ecology. That's ecology. Yeah. So okay, taxonomy okay. is, let me explain this because <laughs> this probably will clarify, clarify some things for you. The word arthropod mm -hmm. is a phylum. Okay. So kingdom, phylum, class, order. Arthropod is a phylum. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's break it up into four groups. Okay. Crustaceans. Yeah. Which are things we like to eat. Lobsters, crabs. Oh. Roly polies. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that's one. Also, what's in the Great Salt Lake? I can't brine shrimp. Brine shrimp. Yeah. I, was, I, I wanted to wear my brine shrimp scarf today because uh, I wanted to wear something that had bugs on it. And so I realized cute. it's in Logan's. So. It's in your heart, I feel like. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've got arthropods. They're all things with legs. Okay. okay. Arthropods. Crustaceans. We've got millipedes and centipedes. They're together in the Marriott group. Okay. Then we have arachnids. Spiders. No wings. So sad. No, no <laughs> it's so sad. So we've got in the arachnid group, we have scorpions, spiders, mites, ticks. Oh, oh yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, but they can't fly unless they make a little spider web out of their bum and float around. <laughs> and okay. you said no antennas. Yeah, also. no antenna. Okay. Oh, yeah. so sad. But then we have the big ones, insects. So that's oh. like, whew, 
so huge. It's dragonflies, damselflies, earwigs, uh, cockroaches, crickets, prey mantises, grasshoppers. Things with wings. Box elder like. bugs, things with antennas, some things that have metamorphosis. We've got not cicada. We have cicadas, but they don't have metamorphosis. We have beetles, bees, ants, flies, butterflies, moths. I mean, it's enormous. The color, the diversity, the weirdness. <laughs> the weirdness. Sometimes when I'm talking to little kids, I say, what color are bugs? And they're like, black, brown, red, yes. green. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Like, There's not stop. a color. Yeah. Chrome colored. Chrome colored. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Oh, wow. They're polka dot. They're striped. What? They're weird. Oh. Okay, we are looking okay. at... This is... Okay, so we're looking at... <laughs> Describe it, I feel okay, like you so, might have a good description. Yeah, okay, so we're looking at two bugs in a little case. One Two is, insects. Two insects. Scarab beetles. They're two scarab beetles. One is kind of a metallic-y green... chromish. Yeah. It is so pretty. There's like pink... It's like uh, the color flashes. of a really Oof. fancy custom Car. Tesla. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the other one is mustard yellow, and it's got a, a flash to it, like a shine that's kind of green, metallic -y. It's head is it's head is green. It's head is but green. then also and it has this polka dot, so it almost looks like a like a mustard ladybug. And this is actually a fun segue I wanted to Sure, yeah. <laughs> I see these and I want them as earrings. <laughs> Desperately. <laughs> And I, you have this really amazing piece of art on your wall, mm -hmm. and just art in general. I guess I don't know if that's art, but um, these bugs that are hung up, and you have this—it's like um, concentric circles of butterfly wings. Yeah. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody um, gave that to me. It's a historical piece. I did not create it modernly. <laughs> yes. So purchase no, no, it no, no, and no, no, create no. the market for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. I guess this is such a broad topic, but sure. could you touch on art and insects? Do you mean using their bodies as art? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have an opposition to that because it's almost exclusively the adult insect. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, a chicken is an egg's way of making another egg. Okay, I've so, not heard that one. Okay, so just change your mindset a little bit. <laughs> when we see a butterfly, we're like, oh, it's a butterfly. That's its life, right? No. So the larval portion of a butterfly's life, let's just talk about that in particular, can be many years long. Hmm. So an insect, a butterfly, can live as a larva, go into to resting phase through winter, wake back up, eat through a summer, rest. The larval portion of an insect's life is really the length of its life. The adult portion can be so short, a lot of insects don't even have mouths as adults. They, they don't even feed, mostly. Sometimes they feed a little bit, but the adult portion is very, very short. It's for mating and dying. So what, what we see life. as the adult, and we think, now there's every single rule in entomology is broken. Every single rule. So what we think of as the animal is really just kind of the end stage, the hospice stage, so to speak. It's just like the sex stage and done and we're done. But also if you, if we kill them during the sex stage, uh -huh. then they don't reproduce. And Maybe they the already point. have. Okay. So in a lot of groups, the insects, they've made, they mate so quickly. Sometimes the males will mate as they're coming out of the pupil. Oh, wow. They're just so fast. They're just so fast. Insects They're are incredibly numerous, incredibly, incredibly numerous. 
Here's the other thing. If the piece of art that is created or jewelry is maintained for a long, 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 long time and valued, it can bring awareness to bugs aren't icky and gross. And we need more of that. Not want, not desire, but need. We need to change people's minds. Because as long as people think insects are gross, they will not go outside. It's one of the top five reasons why people don't spend time outside. Oh, wow. And that keeps people from getting the benefit of the mental health, the vitamin yeah. D, the things that we need to be outdoors. So there's that. People spray their homes with toxic things that will harm Which them. Which is bad for everybody everyone, and everything. Everyone and everything. As the, right. As opposed to being at peace. Not that I'm opposed to all pesticides. There's reasons Mm -hmm. for food production. And like, if you have a bad infestation, I understand that. Bed bugs. Honestly, I have, I (laughs) could not make peace with bed bugs. (laughs) (laughs) Bed bugs, not cool. But an occasional ant, an occasional spider, when people get out the raid and think that they need to spray for spiders, they are causing more harm to themselves than Mm -hmm. the spider. You know what I mean? Fogging your house for spiders it does not work. They just go in the walls and they come back out yeah. and it's clear. So anything that can demystify bugs. And when people say, well, I like butterflies. Well, that's a bug. It's a yep. flying cockroach. It's just a bug. You know what I mean? So I think there's a great deal of value in that. Here's the other thing since you got me started is that insects, especially butterflies and moths can be a renewable resource for indigenous people in tropical areas. Mm -hmm. So it can help them to increase the value of the green space around them because the insects might need to eat that particular food plant. So they have to have it. And as long as it's not being exploited by people who are harming the indigenous people, if they can use it as a financial incentive, like it helps them, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Let them charge us a ton of money for their beautiful <laughs> butterflies yeah. and have a renewable resource <laughs> that doesn't cut down trees. They have morpho farms. They have those pretty blue butterflies where they raise them in greenhouses. I'm not completely up to date on what the status is of that now, but um, when I started my career, you could buy one for 5 or $6. And now they're five times that. And good for them. Yeah. I hope that the indigenous local people are making a ton of money. They should. And I hope it's doing great for them. You're here. Yeah, yeah. that's what I've <laughs> So if somebody believes in not killing anything ever because of their religious beliefs, that's a different story. And yeah. I don't feel that way. I think to be alive on this planet means you're going to cause some harm and you should just do it consciously and carefully. Absolutely. I, there's no way to not kill. I mean, or harm or harm. Yeah. Just kind of to mitigate your impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do it carefully and think about who's, who might be harmed along the way. Yeah. yeah. But people's along the process. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I got a little fervent because I get excited. Yeah. Did you ask because you want earrings? beetle earrings. Uh, now I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can give you some thought about it. Like, where did it come from? Who made it? Who's yeah. being, who's profiting? I could have just imagined having earrings like that and be like, oh yeah, these are actually from this area in the Andes. Mm-hmm. And did you know that these bugs eat, I don't know. Yeah. Aren't they cool? Aren't don't they we cool? love bugs? Oh my gosh. Don't bugs. Aren't bugs cool? Look at these. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you find a dead bug around your house and you make earrings out of it. Mm. I just see a lot of little dead spiders. <gasps> what about the 10 line June beetle that we have here in Utah? That cute little, some people call them a watermelon bug. No. Polyphyla decimlineata. <laughs> <laughs> They're cutie. So we see, we've had them here in northern Utah and they have cute little antenna that look almost like little mooses. They're okay. so cute. And they're only defense mechanism. 
They have a really golden, fuzzy chest. Their only defense mechanism is to hiss. And they go, (laughs) and when they fly away, they fly so slowly. They're mad. And they're like, they're kind of big. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've definitely seen them. um... (laughs) You're like, are you mad? Are you mad? Yeah. With golden hair, and you could just like grab it. (laughs) So in Logan, Mm -hmm. I think they're up there. Yeah, that's what they are. And I went climbing with my friend Michael, and they were everywhere. (gasps) And you're like climbing, and you're trying not to put your hands on them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, without claws, except little Tarsi. Yes, I'm so mad. And they do have those big antennas. This is Georgie from the future while editing this podcast, and I want to make a correction that the bugs. That I saw while climbing were not June beetles. June beetles are pretty beautiful, kind of metallic green. You should look up a picture of them because they are beautiful and would make stellar earrings or any piece of jewelry. And the bug that I saw was a western conifer seed bug, of which there are many up Logan Canyon. At first I thought they were stink bug because they smell like a citrusy fragrance reminiscent of a diluted cleaning product. But really, they only smell when you, quote-unquote, crunch them flat. According to the internet, they have a distinctive musky evergreen turpentine odor. So that's what I mixed up with. It's not a June bug. I was wrong. But now, back to the episode. One time I was in Kanab, though, and they're, like, this big. And then I saw one in Kanab that was, like, that big. Okay, for, for listeners, um, the, this big and that big is, like, an inch to oh, two, two inches. inches? Maybe an inch and a half. So it like seemed really inch. big. That was so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you must, I mean, everywhere you go, you get excited because there's bugs everywhere. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My favorite is when I'm someplace kind of fancy, like if I'm at the opera or something and I see a fly go by and I go, mmm, yeah. Just like like all around. And so it's just a pleasure to just see that life thrives, you know? Mm -hmm. I just love that. It's It's just, yeah, it's so exciting. Sometimes when I was in college and I was struggling, I'd be like, oh man, oh, oh, there's a friend. You know, I'm doing it for you. I'm just going to keep going. So did you study? entomology in college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was a first generation college student, so I was very I did not know what I was doing. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> I had no guideposts and I didn't have any mentors and I was it was hard. I didn't know what I was doing at all. But you did it. Yep. <laughs> like created this whole world it feels like. Very ungracefully, but I got it done okay. barely. <laughs> Did you know that you wanted to do bugs or you were just like biology and we'll figure it out. And then you saw a bug and you're like that, this, no. this is what I want. It was just bugs all the way. Okay. Yeah. Did you love bugs when you were a little kid? Yeah. So, you know, it was the seventies. There was one TV in your house. Go out and play. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to me. So, and, uh, had kind of a tumultuous childhood. And so kind of the only solace besides books and books and books was, uh, go outside and play. So I played outside and looked for roly polies under rocks kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I had a cool grandma who would let daddy long legs crawl on her arms, you oh, know, cool. and I would put grasshoppers in jars and stuff, but you know, I didn't really know that could be a job of course. And that's mm-hmm. why kids need science mentors, which is another <laughs> drum I beat all the time. And then I had a really cool science teacher in high school who made a list of a hundred problems that the earth has that biology should help solve. Oh, and it was really inspiring. It was really inspiring. That seems like a great project to have kids work on. Yeah. To look at and to keep in mind. It felt like a call to action. Yeah. It really did. It did. 
And then I took a few AP tests and I did poorly on biology and I did great on English. And so I made, like I had the decision to make, I thought I could probably be a really good writer and I'd probably be a mediocre biologist. But I thought one day I could be looking at a National Geographic and see bugs and I'm going to be so bitter <laughs> if I don't do it. And so I did. And I thought, I'm not going to be great, but I'm still going to do it because I'll be happy. And it's true. Oh, <laughs> That's how it turned that. out. <laughs> yeah, I have had this conversation a lot, especially I'm a grad student right now. Mm -hmm. And just talking about like, well, what are you going to do when you're done? Mm -hmm. And talking to other folks, when you choose what you want to do, you should choose what makes you happy, mm -hmm. not just what you're good at. Yeah. At I least, don't think I'm great at it. Well, no, I don't. <laughs> just because you do bugs mm -hmm. doesn't mean you, you can't, can't follow your other passions. Yeah. Right. True. But time is finite, it turns out. It is. <laughs> <laughs> time is finite. Every day and <laughs> like and month. Wait a second. I actually can't go back and do a <laughs> Yeah, time is finite. You have to pick and choose a little bit how yeah. your hours are spent. But you can interweave some things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can. But I tell you, I'm, I have a lot of health problems. I go to the doctor a lot. A third of the doctors I go to say they wish they'd become entomologists. Wow. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. And I say, Yeah. I have a lot of fun, but <laughs> I think my house is a lot smaller than yours. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> so, definitely. You know, we balance. So there's been some, some costs and trade-offs here. I talked so. to a lot of engineers, and the conversation's kind of the same. They're like, yeah. yeah, I went to school. It was really hard, and I have a good-paying job, but I, I work to play. Mm. I'm like, cool. Everything, like the work that I do, I feel so lucky. Oh, I'm just yeah. so passionate about it. Even yeah. being in grad school, which is very stressful. Mm. I'm still excited about what I'm working on. Yeah. So I don't really know any entomologists that aren't really happy. Wow. So that's a secret. Yeah. yeah. The unhappy entomologist is just non-existent. I mean, there probably are some. There's some. <laughs> you might hear from some that like maybe they're unhappy for other reasons, yeah. or maybe they're unhappy because their job, and maybe they just really wanted to be a dancer. I know people that do both, but yeah, I know <laughs> <laughs> I a lot of, uh, most entomologists are like pretty thrilled to be. And a lot of times, I'm like, I can't believe I'm at work. I love this. If I had a cot here, I might not leave. Bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it all the time. Gosh. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a good gig, and the. Natural History Museum of Utah. Since it opened, I've loved coming here. I don't know how often you've come, Mary, but... Uh, you know, probably like five, ten times. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love it here. Yeah. <laughs> what a cool space to, to be. Well, it was, a, it was a cool space at the old museum. I mean, because I started in the old building. Oh. And it was a neat weird old space. Okay. Because, I'd never gone. Oh, it was very old-timey, like marble hand lettered, you know, like cool. it had the old feeling yeah. and it was also like very mystery building. Mm. So I worked there for 13 years and sometimes I would just be walking around and I'd see somebody open a door and I was, where did that, where did that <laughs> hallway come from? Wow. Somebody would open another hallway and there'd be like a monkey on a pole and you'd be like, where, what? And <laughs> I had a lab space open and I was like, how, where did that come from? It was just a very strange building, and I loved it. It was mm. so mysterious and Did bizarre. they tear it down? No, they refurbished it and turned okay. it into, like, a nice, slick, clean new building that probably isn't 90 degrees. Like, we used to have floods all the time oh, and gosh. all kinds of problems. I imagine that's a huge issue with collections. <laughs> right? It was bad. It was bad in that way. But it was an amazing, cool, old-timey building. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was fun. 
gosh. Well, so I kind of miss that old time feeling, but mm-hmm. it's it's way better, of course, here with everything, you know, temperature controlled and pest management better. So nice. Yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit more about the Firefly Community Scientist Project. Yeah. yeah. So for that, what do people do and yeah. how can folks get involved? Yeah. So we just ask when people uh, know there's fireflies or they've seen them, or even if they know about historically, like we used to see them on Mm. my grandpa's farm, or we used to know about them to report them on our website. And it's super easy to find. You can just actually Google Utah fireflies or Western fireflies. When we began, we were just looking at Utah fireflies. It was the Utah firefly project, but then uh, it just expanded. So we got a really interesting population in Victor, Idaho. It was just too solid. It was just, we got specimens from it. So we know that they're definitely in Idaho. And then we found about three populations in Wyoming. Okay. And then we started to partner with some folks in Colorado, Albuquerque, Montana. And then we collected some in Nevada, <laughs> which might be the first bioluminescent fireflies collected in, Mon- in Nevada for science. Wow. Very exciting. This is because I have a couple of really, really hardworking volunteers who are willing to drive to go collect fireflies, Good which is them. far. You yeah. Know what I mean? It's far. And also they're ephemeral. They're hard to, you know, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. I have such great volunteers. So we have Nevada. So we changed it to the Western Firefly Project. Yeah. So it's really huge. Some children's books have been written about (gasps) Western fireflies. Oh, I'll have to look those Um, up. I love children's books. Right? (laughs) It's it's in Cache Valley. Okay. I can send you the link. So even when I feel like this project has just gone on so long, it continues to like expand and draw in new partners and new directions that surprise me. We also work with the Xerces Society a little bit. The which Xerces is a, Society? Yeah, it's an invertebrate conservation group. Okay. So they work to keep bugs awareness that are not, they don't oh, keep the bugs aware. The bugs know what's going on. <laughs> the bugs know. Educate those bugs. <laughs> Help protect bugs that are threatened. And so okay. there's a problem with fireflies around the country that they're having diminishing populations yeah. because so. of habitat loss, habitat loss, light pollution, all kinds of things. Okay. So Xerces society, Z E R C E S okay. named after a little blue butterfly that went extinct. Oh. Do you want to see one? Yeah. I have one right here in my office. That's that blue butterfly right there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Be so yeah, yeah. careful. So careful. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a very small butterfly. It's very delicate. Less than an inch wide, maybe half an inch tall. It's kind of it's fluffy. A periwinkle. Oh, oh, it is fluffy. It kind of has light blue veins and these, coming out these from the top. Little into it. Kind of looks like the butterfly from Bugs Life, actually. Oh, mm. yeah, yeah. I with seen the, that with long the antenna. Time. Oh, it's very cute. And I mean, all those butterflies. Thank you for yeah. letting me hold a box that seems very uh, <laughs> fragile and important. Yes, I trust you. <laughs> I have one question that maybe tangential. Mm-hmm. Do you see any movies with bugs and you're like, oh, that's either a great representation <laughs> or that's a horrible representation. I'm so upset. Uh, okay, we'll start. You know, here, here, let's yeah. play a game. Yeah. Smash okay. or pass. Good representation. 
Bugs Life. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pass. Pass. Arachnophobia. Uh, no. uh, oh, I actually really love B movies, like, yeah. you know, bad movies, <laughs> movies. But those things make me crazy. Uh, <laughs> I have recommendations, though. Yeah? I love The Swarm. The Swarm. It's made, I think, in the early 80s, late 70s, and it's about Africanized honeybees. Oh. And it's got an all-star cast. It's sort of at the end of making big horror movies. Uh-huh. And oh my gosh, it's hysterical. <laughs> yes. Oh it has gosh. like Henry Fonda and like Jeez. a whole bunch of big stars yeah. in it. We used to have this thing called science movie night where we would have horror, like big horror movies. And then we'd have a scientist debunk the science. Oh, night. I love <laughs> that. I was always like, we have to do the swarm again. And they're like, it's two and a half hours. Nobody wants to watch it. And I was like, it's so good. I want to talk about it all the time. I want to talk about it all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just want to be like, let's partner with the film society. Right? I would love It was so that. much fun. I did Wasp Woman, which is about a woman who uses... She goes. She turns into a wasp. It was amazing. amazing. Mm. I did like some giant tarantula ones. Okay, one where a praying mantis thaws from the Arctic and is like a giant praying mantis and comes to New York City. <laughs> um, I love all of those. Yeah, I feel like there's kind of a treasure trove of horror movies about bugs. Yeah, they're so great. And some of them have just a tiny bit of science, and then afterwards you can talk about it because they prey on this fear that people have. Yeah. But my biggest pet peeve, my biggest pet peeve about that is that people assume all insects and arachnids are male. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Except for Charlotte's Web. But yes. 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 I'm like, oh, look at him. Look at this guy. Look at... That's that's one thing I genuinely... I. It, it's hard for me because people are like, oh, look at that little guy. I mean, whether it's a squirrel, whatever wildlife it is, even when it's so clearly when you see a doe versus a buck and they're like, look at that guy. I'm like, I know language is important and you probably mean guy to be general, but you're also just but also like, that is biologically a female. All the ants you see are female. Oh, unless they have wings and it could be debatable, but the ants are female. And oh, this is why this is important. That. So it's not just the term guy, but it's he, 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 he. And it gets the biology wrong. Mm -hmm. It's so important because they'll say like, well, can he sting? No, he can't sting. No males have stingers that can hurt you. Although, as I said, in entomology, every rule is ever broken. (laughs) But in general, males don't have stingers. So they get the biology wrong. But the more important thing that bothers me about this, it's like femininity can't exist unless it has a bow on its head and is pushing yep. a stroller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if something's fuzzy or fierce. Ladybugs are girls. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Butterflies are girls. Right. And so almost all insects and arachnids you see, it's just better to default to female. Because the males are almost always smaller, almost always not existent, almost always like hidden. Hmm. Some insects, arachnids... Lizards, they don't even have males. So yeah. just default to female. Why don't we just change our language to assume that female is default? Oh, I would love that. I would love that in a lot of contexts, yeah. but especially this one where it seems appropriate, like yeah. specifically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Or just use default they. Yeah. We could default they. Default. That would be better, more inclusive language. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a huge issue for me because it gets our ideas about the natural world wrong and it gets our ideas about our mm-hmm. own gender expressions wrong yeah yeah one thing i always hated in movies if you have a bunny and then oh now there's a female bunny and that bunny has eyelashes and a bust Mm -hmm. and all these things you just need to feminize them so that you know that it's female but if it's not specifically gendered in any way then of course the default's male and yeah it's it's corrupted us for sure we need to fix it so that's a big problem for me yeah Mm -hmm. i agree 
So if folks want to get involved either with this project mm-hmm. or any any other projects you have mm-hmm. going on, or with the Natural History Museum in general. Yeah. So you can just look up Western Firefly Project. Or if you're really into squirrels, you could look up our squirrel scientist project, citizen science project. Or if you just want to participate in a citizen science project, like you have big astronomy dreams and you want to tap into that, or marine biology dreams, there are clearing houses run by Scientific American magazine. Mm-hmm. You can tap into your scientist dreams and you can be, you can participate, <laughs> which I love. But you can just also come visit the Natural History Museum. That would be lovely. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great it's place. Like, so they're so they're so affordable. I can't off the top of yeah. think of it, but yeah, free for University of Utah students. Free and staff. for University of Utah yep. students. That's nice. Yeah, and staff. And we're open late on Wednesdays, and it's a really good time to come see the sunset. Yeah, the ice alone recently. is so beautiful. You have such an amazing view of the Salt Lake Valley. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. I do like that a lot. And I know some folks can specifically volunteer at the museum doing different stuff, but I, I don't know if that entails a, a training process or oh, yeah. we like take required it, hours. Yeah. Oh, okay. we take it very seriously. The onboarding <laughs> process takes a few months. Oh, wow. An application process and orientation. It's not something somebody could do lightly. Okay. And that's because these volunteers are probably doing stuff behind the scenes? Depends. With, okay. Yeah. There's many different kinds of work. Some of it's outreach across the state. Some of it's uh, remote. You could do work remotely, but it does involve a lot of training. We don't onboard people as volunteers. It's almost like a job you kind of have to yeah. apply. We take it really, really seriously, which I appreciate, but the rewards are really high. We <laughs> reward people a lot. I just was at a volunteer awards dinner a couple nights ago, and we treat our volunteers really well. So mm-hmm. that's nice. It's that's a beautiful good. community of <laughs> like incredibly talented, gifted people who are very generous with their mm-hmm. time. One thing that I love about volunteering is that you always meet the most passionate people. Mm-hmm. And I want to surround myself with passionate people, and I can't imagine who doesn't. It's a good thing to do. Everyone should volunteer. I say this <laughs> yeah. a lot, but volunteering yeah. is great. If you're sad, you should volunteer. Daddy if you're happy, if you're volunteer. Lonely, if you're bored. If you want to meet friends. If you want to meet... Oh, if you want to meet friends. If you're yeah. an adult looking for friends, go volunteer. Find something you're kind of interested in. Yeah. And there's somewhere you can volunteer. Yeah. Learn something, volunteer. Volunteering is great if you have the yeah. time. Not everybody has the time that's or true. resources or privilege, but... Yeah, um, that's true. Now, I, I have to answer a question that people ask me all the time. So as I said about the collections, it's our job to balance past and future. With the Firefly Project, it's my job to balance locating places where the fireflies are and telling people where they are because people want to know. Yeah. But I also can't tell them every single site because I can't the have people will go dozens of cars yeah. showing up to people's farms. It's yeah. not nice. So if somebody's in northern, northern Utah, there is a park in Nibley oh. called the Firefly Park. So That's it's close to where I'm at. available to go see them. If you're in... Salt Lake, the nearest place is Swanner Nature Preserve in Park City. How they cool. have a boardwalk. There is no place that I can guarantee that you will see them because you cannot shop the wild. Mm-hmm. So you might see them from late May to early July. We've had a really wet spring, so it might be a little later this year. If you're in southern Utah, they're common in Utah County. There's not as many for sure go-to sites in southern Utah, but I think there should be. So I need people to tell me where they find them. (laughs) We've found them in places down there, but more sporadic. As far south as Kanab. So people need to tell me. Tell me, and I will be considerate with your data. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, do you have any more questions? Um, not right now. It's just been so lovely talking to you. Yeah. Christy. Do you have anything else you want to share? Not that I can think of. I think I've talked to you a lot, but yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I think the last question I have is if someone wants to be an entomologist, what's, what's something that you recommend that they do? Wow. Uh, do it. <laughs> the world needs more entomologists. <laughs> Don't give up. And also you can either do it as a job or not do it as a job. It sounds like it's really easy to have it as a hobby. Yeah. And make a difference. Have it as a hobby and you are you are really contributing in a meaningful way to for the sure, entomology for sure. community at large. Yeah. You could even just make a ton of iNaturalist observations Ooh. of Katie dids. You could be like the Katie did expert or, you know, the daddy long leg expert. You could do it in a small way. But I think if you love bugs, then keep loving bugs. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, iNaturalist is an app. You can have it on your phone and you, from my understanding, you can take pictures and upload <laughs> it and then either you identify it or if you don't know what it is, other people are like, oh, that's this. So there's a Pokemon video game where <laughs> you, the whole thing is you just go and you take, I think you're, you just take pictures of um, a little Pokemon along the way. Mm-hmm. There's also another video game I played as a kid where you're on the Amazon River and you go and you take pictures of things. Uh -huh. So this is and just like the real life version. version. It's the real life version of fun games. Yep. Yes. iNaturalist. So. iNaturalist. Highly recommend. Yeah. Highly recommend. You can create a library of your own observations <sighs> and it does some AI work and can identify plants for you. Ooh. That's yeah. really cool. Mm -hmm. That's, that's cool. Yeah. It scares me as an artist. It, like I have some, I have some qualms about AI. No, I know. But, but it just, <laughs> as a scientist, like, that is so <coughs> to be able to pull out your phone and you're like, be like, oh. That's what that is. Or you can listen to the sound of a bird, and then it tells you what bird it That's is. That's incredible. Isn't that cool? That is incredible. I love it. Yeah. That would yeah. be so cool to like go out on a little nature walk just around your neighborhood and be like, oh, I had, had no idea there were so many. Yeah. You just learned yeah. it there. Yeah. Because sometimes I'll see a flower, and I'll think, oh, what? I think I remember the name of that, and I'll take a picture, and it'll say, visually seen nearby, it might be these different kinds of flea bane. And I'll say like, oh, my guess is it's based on the different characters. I think it's that flea bane. And then it'll put it in pending, you know, like it'll say, I think you're right. And then other people have to come along and say, yeah, Christy said it was that one. And I'm a botanist. <laughs> and I also think it's that. And if two other people say it, then it becomes cool. research grade and it goes on a map. And then also I can hop on my computer and say, I'm going down to Richfield. I want to see what kind of flowers yeah. are going to be there. Or when I'm going to go camping at a certain lake, I can say like, what flowers will I see in June? And it'll say, oh, there you go. So cool. Yeah. Highly well, recommend. thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. We need to thank AJ Van Zabin. He wrote the intro music and the outro music. And uh, I always end the show by saying something my dad always says, which is, use your head and be clever. <laughs> so bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>